This program is brought to you by Israel Restoration Ministries. What are you doing Sunday nights? Come join Friendship with God radio Bible teacher Tom Cantor of the Friendship with God Fellowship Church every Sunday night at 5.30 p.m. at The Vine at 9336 Abraham Way, Santee, California. Watch and listen live around the world to Tom Cantor Sunday evening on YouTube.com by searching for Friendship with God Fellowship or by going to our homepage at friendshipwithgod.org. That's friendshipwithgod.org. Welcome to Friendship with God with our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor. Today's message and previous messages can be listened to or downloaded for free at friendshipwithgod.org. That's friendshipwithgod.org. You can also obtain free resources from Tom Cantor and view our online bookstore at friendshipwithgod.org or call us at 800-247-3051. That's 800-247-3051. Tom Cantor also has a daily devotional verse that comes out each day by email and on Facebook. To receive this small daily devotional verse that Tom Cantor puts out, you can sign up at friendshipwithgod.org. That's friendshipwithgod.org. Or find Tom Cantor on Facebook by searching for Tom Cantor and Friendship with God. Now, here's our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor. Okay, let's pray. Father, thank you so much for the joy of knowing you, Lord. Thank you so much for coming to bring us happiness. Lord, we do pray this morning as we open your word that you would speak to our hearts and that, Lord, we would leave with something that we didn't have when we came in, in Jesus' name, amen. Okay, turning your Bibles to the last few verses of Matthew chapter nine, verses 35 to 38, in this passage here, Matthew 9, 35 to 38. I think we're gonna read verse 34 just to get the full context here of when this happened. Uh, so we're gonna go from uh, Matthew 9, 34 to the end of the chapter. But the Pharisees said, he casteth out devils through the prince of the devils. And Jesus went about all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues and preaching the gospel of the kingdom and healing every sickness and every disease among the people. But when he saw the multitudes, he was moved with compassion on them because they fainted and were scattered abroad as sheep having no shepherd. Then saith he to his disciples, the harvest truly is plenteous, but the laborers are few. Pray therefore the Lord of the harvest that he will send forth laborers into his harvest. Now in our last study, remember how we saw, and that's the reason why I read this last, uh, this, this verse 34, we saw how the Pharisees had just made the ultimate insult on the Lord when they accused him of being tied in with or in league with Satan in his works. And it's interesting when you look at that verse and then you go immediately to verse 35 because what you see there is really a response of the Lord to the attack. And what was his response? He threw himself immediately and completely into reaching the people of the region. That's how 34 and 35 blend together when you look at them that way, when the Pharisees said in verse 34, he casteth out devils 
through the prince of the devils. And his response now is, and Jesus went about all the cities and villages, teaching in the synagogues, preaching the gospel of the kingdom, healing every sickness and every disease among the people. So those two verses, when they're put together, they show that the mission of the Lord was opposed the more he pursued his mission. And the Lord was not gonna get into a conflict with the Pharisees who had launched this great attack on his reputation, on his person, but he was not gonna let that stop him from bringing his message of life, his life message, to the people. In other words, the Lord's focus was on the people because he saw them, as the scripture says, they were sitting in darkness, in great darkness, and they needed his great message of light and life, and that message was all about the kingdom, and so where the people could really, this kingdom, and the good news of this kingdom was a place now where the people really could have their sins washed away. The people who were in darkness, who were condemned for their sins, they really could be pardoned. The people who were in darkness who were feeling so guilty, because they were, they really could be forgiven. The people who were in this darkness felt so lost and excluded from God. How were they excluded from God? They were excluded from God because they were caught in a religion of dead traditions. And that caused them to be excluded from God. And so the good news was they really could have a shepherd who could lead them out of that. The good news for these people who were in darkness was that they were dead, but they really could receive a new life with the presence of God. Oh, that's very good news. This is the gospel news, it's the good news. And that's what he threw himself into, bringing to the people in verse 35, the gospel of the kingdom. And so, we really wanna look at what was behind the Lord's motivations, because certainly to not defend himself for this terrible accusation, we really gotta get to the heart of what's his motivation? What's fueling his motor there? And we can see that one of the things that he was very motivated, that he was excited over, was how good this news was, was how gospel this news was, that there really could be. There was cleansing for the defiled. There was pardon for the condemned. There was forgiveness for the guilty. There was guidance for the lost. And there was life for the dead. That's all what is encompassed in this good news of the gospel, and that's what fueled his motor, that's what motivated him in verse 35, to go about all the cities, all the villages there, reaching every person. That was his motivation. And it was also, when you think about it, the power of this message, the good news of this message, was the motivation also for Paul. What motivated this little man to, in a nonstop energy to go over all of Asia Minor to cover it all in his short little life. And what was the motivation? What fueled his motor? He said in Romans 1, 15 through 16, Romans 1, 15 through 16, he said, so as much as in me is, I'm ready to preach the gospel to you that are at Rome also, for I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. It's the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. So Paul knew the gospel could give oxygen, it could give life breath to those who were suffocating in this religion of dead traditions. 
And so this is one of the motivations the Lord had. Now, the Lord knew the power of the gospel message. It really impressed him, but brought it all home to him in verse 36 when he saw the multitudes. When he saw the multitudes, he was moved with compassion on them. So when he saw the spiritual condition of the people, it's like before, you can almost think of it this way, before he had his preparation, he was in heaven, he was gonna come, he came, he was on earth, he was raised, he looked forward to the time when he would leave and start his home and start his, his ministry. And so this is it right now, when he sees the people, this burdens him, he's moved from the center of his being with compassion. When he saw them, he knew about them, when he saw them, when he was right there, you know, it reminds me of when my first trip to Ethiopia in 2007, and everybody, I heard about all the, oh, the famines of Ethiopia and the food shortage in Ethiopia and the poverty in Ethiopia, and I saw the pictures on TV like everybody did. But that didn't prepare me for the shock of being there with the smells and the sounds and the sights of people desperately begging and dying for starvation. I never saw anything like that before. I thought Mexico was a poor country. Mexico is a super rich country. No one starves to death in Mexico. But, but it, it, I remember the first two nights I was in, in Ethiopia, I couldn't sleep all night, and it wasn't because of jet lag. I couldn't sleep in the daytime either because I was so disturbed. But what I did, I stayed up all night. And boy, did I run up a phone bill talking to colleagues back home, saying, we gotta start, we gotta come here, we gotta be here, we gotta be among these Ethiopians, we gotta start a company here in Ethiopia, be with them. I, I don't know, we'll raise mice, we'll do something, some labor-intensive thing. Boy, so, now my wife was not with me on that trip, she didn't share those same dire needs of the people, so when I called her from Ethiopia, she was less than impressed, and I told her, I said, we need to start a company here in Ethiopia to help the people. And she was not enthusiastic over that. That's an understatement. In fact, her words to me, Ethiopia? Starting a company in Ethiopia? You sure you have the poorest country in the world? I think you're the wrong one. Somalia is poorer, she said. I think you've got to go there, start a company. Anyway, what made the difference for me was going there and seeing the people suffering in Ethiopia. Sort of like in a different way, but sort of like Job when he was talking about the difference between hearing about God and seeing God, he said in Job 42.5, Job 42.5, I have heard of thee by the hearing of the ear, but now mine eye seeth thee. That's the point of verse 36. When he saw the multitudes, he was moved with compassion. And seeing those multitudes just confirmed to him the reason why he's there. The reason why he's there, we can imagine a scene in heaven, we can just imagine a scene in heaven when he's preparing to go. He's God the Son, he's the Lord Jesus, he's preparing to come to earth, he's laying aside his power and his glory, he's going to do what it says in Philippians 2.7, Philippians 2.7 when it says, he made himself of no reputation, took upon the form of a servant, was made in the likeness of men, found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. I mean, when you read this thing here in Philippians 2, 7 and 8, 
it's almost like there should be a little parenthesis after it says, can you believe that? It's so astounding. And we can imagine the angels observing the Lord preparing to do this, give up his reputation, become a servant, humble himself to dying on the cross. And we could just imagine the angels, maybe they said it, maybe they wanted it, but they say, why, why, why? As the hymn puts it so well, in vain, the firstborn seraph tries to sound the depths of love divine. Can't do it. So, but when the Lord saw the multitudes in verse 36, we can imagine the Lord responding to the angels, that's why, of what I've seen here in these people, that's why. Verse 36, when he saw the multitudes, he was moved with compassion on them. And this verse here in this record of what happened when he saw the multitudes and how it's recorded here is all building up to the next chapter when he's gonna send out his disciples to reach the people. Remember here, this is Matthew who's writing this book. He's the author, and he's gonna be one of the ones who are sent out. And so the point is, is that this is what impressed Matthew so much that he recorded it, that the Lord was moved with compassion when he saw the people, and by this statement, Matthew is really kind of making a statement, look, this is what impressed me about him. He was moved with compassion. I went out, I realized this is so important. So in essence, Matthew is almost saying, if the need of the people, you who want to bring the gospel to the lost, if the need of the people doesn't fire you up, you're in the wrong business because that's what he was impressed with. So the Lord looks at the people, what does he see? He sees a people that are ready to perish. They're ready to perish, they're on the brink. As a matter of fact, that's how God saw a lot of people, sees people in general, especially Abraham. Abraham, the, as, as, as the New Testament says, the believers, the father of us all. Abraham, the father of the Jewish people, but the father of all those that believe as well. And so Moses was telling the people how they should see the great Abraham, the great Abraham. They said, look, when you speak about Abraham, Moses said, I want these words to be in your mouth. And so just let me give you the words and then you rehearse them and every time you say Abraham, I want you to say these things. And he says this in Deuteronomy 26.5. Deuteronomy 26.5, when he says, Moses speaking to the people says, thou shalt speak and say before the Lord thy God, a Syrian ready to perish was my father. And he went down to Egypt and sojourned with a few and there became a nation, mighty, great, mighty, and populous. So Moses is really putting with the mind of the people when you speak, when you, especially when you pray to God, call Abraham a Syrian ready to perish, okay? Uh, I don't know about you, but that doesn't sound very solid, very secure. I mean, this is our father. It's a Syrian ready to perish. Lest you say, we have Abraham to our father. Yeah? You have a Syrian ready to perish for your father. I think it's better to have God as your father. Anyway, so this is what moved the Lord about the people. He saw them ready to perish, and he comments, it comments here, that he saw them as those that fainted. They were fainting. They were losing strength. They couldn't continue a fainting. They wanted to go, but they were fainting. Now, 
Not that the people were physically fainting, but that they were spiritually fainting. And fainting is a, you know, you say, I want to make it to that door, but, you know, I'm not going to make it, so I'm going to faint, and then you're all going to call 911 when you see me on the floor there. But anyway, fainting is wanting to go somewhere and not having the strength to have it. So just like it says in Romans 3.23, Romans 3.23, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God, or they fainted trying to get to the glory of God, or they fainted trying to meet all of God's standards. They failed. They fell short. And so, and it was the religious leaders who at that time were encouraging them, not in the way of God's righteousness, but going about trying to establish their own righteousness, were saying, you can make it, you can make it. It says this, but we'll reinterpret it. It says you gotta be absolutely holy, but no, we'll, we'll replace it with an innumerable requirements of what you must do and what you must not do. And last count, there were 613 laws of Judaism. And they fainted. The people fainted under this burden of a works-based religion. All the while, the leaders, they were enjoying these positions of prestige and power over the people. This disturbed the Lord. The Lord saw this. He was disturbed when he saw the people because he saw them in verse 6 as scattered Scattered abroad as sheep having no shepherd. Some are following this rabbi who says you gotta do this. Some are following that rabbi who says you gotta dress this way. Some are not following any rabbi. They're scattered abroad as sheep having no shepherd, no true shepherd, because the shepherds that they had, these rabbis, these Pharisees, these scribes, God had already made some comments about them in Ezekiel 34. Ezekiel 34, verse two, for example, God said, son of man, prophesy, preach against the shepherds of Israel. Prophesy and say unto them, thus saith the Lord unto the shepherds, woe be to the shepherds of Israel that do feed themselves. Should not the shepherds feed the sheep, feed the flocks? And then in that same chapter, Ezekiel 34, 10, verse 10, he says, thus saith the Lord God, behold, I am against the shepherds. It's not a good day to have God against you. But he says, I am against the shepherds and I will require my flock at their hand and cause them to cease from feeding the flock. Neither shall the shepherds feed themselves anymore for I will deliver my flock from their mouth and they may not be meat for them. And then in Jeremiah 23.1, Jeremiah 23.1, God goes on and says, woe be unto the pastors that destroy and scatter the sheep of my pasture, saith the Lord. So when the Lord saw the people there in verse 36 as scattered abroad, a sheep having no shepherd, we can imagine him thinking to himself, they have no shepherd, but I am John 10.1. I am John 10.1. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd gives his life for the sheep. So he thought to himself, he thought to himself, instead of verse 36, scattered abroad as having no sheep, He's saying, I will be the Isaiah 40, verse 11. Isaiah 40, verse 11, shepherd. Isaiah 40, verse 11 says, he shall feed his flock like a shepherd. He shall gather the lambs with his arm. He shall carry them in his bosom. He shall gently lead those that are with young. So he's going about all the cities and the villages, and he's being that shepherd. This is the, he's being that shepherd. He's gathering 
He's calling out, as it says in Ezekiel 34, 12. Ezekiel 34, 12. He is being the shepherd that seeks out his flock in the day that is among his sheep that are scattered. So will I seek out my sheep and will deliver them out of all places where they've been scattered in the cloudy and dark day. And when he finds his sheep, when he finds them, then he is determined to be the great shepherd that's referenced in Hebrews 13.20. Hebrews 13.20 says, Now the God of peace that brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus, that great shepherd of the sheep, through the blood of the everlasting covenant. All right, so this is what he's doing, but now he brings up to his disciples a problem, a big problem. He says in verse 37, Then saith he to his disciples, The harvest truly is as plenteous, truly is plenteous, but the laborers are few. So here's a problem. He says, the harvest of the people, it's great, but there's not enough laborers for the harvest. So the need is for laborers for the harvest, laborers for God. Now that raises some questions in our minds. First of all, who are those laborers that the Lord Jesus is looking for? What are those laborers to do? So first of all, we have to remember that when God calls a person, God calls a laborer, he calls them one by one, one by one, one person at a time. So God is looking for laborers one laborer at a time. He's looking for laborers one by one. And in verses 37 and 38, just as God was looking for laborers one by one at that time, God was also looking for uh, one by one laborers in Ezekiel's day, in Ezekiel's day, when it says in Ezekiel 22, verse 30, Ezekiel 22, 30 and 31, God said, I sought for a man among them that should make up the hedge and stand in the gap before me for the land, that I should not destroy it, but I found none. Therefore have I poured out my indignation upon them. I have consumed them with the fire of my wrath. Their own way have I recompensed upon their heads, saith the Lord God. So we're thinking about this, God is looking for laborers for his harvest. We're thinking about this, God is looking for a man from Ezekiel 22:30, And he's looking for a man to save the people from perishing. So the people in Ezekiel's day, they didn't know it, but they were on the brink of judgment. They didn't know it but the destruction of their land, the destruction of Jerusalem was right there gonna happen at the hand of the Babylonians. And just before the destruction of the land in Jerusalem, God is looking for a man. Now, in Matthew 9, 36 to 37, the Lord Jesus is looking for men also to save the people from perishing, but in Matthew 9 also, the people also didn't know it. They were on the brink of destruction also. The people in Matthew 9, they didn't know it, but judgment was again gonna come. There was again gonna be the destruction of Jerusalem. There's gonna be now such a destruction that all of the Jews, all the people in the land are gonna scatter in what's called the diaspora. They were gonna run away from Israel. This is gonna happen in 40 short years by the hand of Romans and Titus, under Titus. 
And just before this destruction, this one in Matthew 9, just before this destruction, God is again looking. He's looking for men. Another wonderful day studying the Bible with our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor, here on Friendship with God. Don't forget that today's message and previous messages can be listened to and downloaded for free at friendshipwithgod.org. That's friendshipwithgod.org. You can also go online to find free resources from Tom Cantor and our online bookstore at friendshipwithgod.org. You can also find Tom Cantor on Facebook, and you can also go to friendshipwithgod.org to sign up for his daily devotional. Tom Cantor is also the founder of Israel Restoration Ministries. You can visit that website at israelrestoration.org. You can write to Tom Cantor at P.O. Box 711330, Santee, California 92071. That's P.O. Box 711330, Santee, California 92071. Or email Tom Cantor at tomcantor at friendshipwithgod.org. That's tomcantor at friendshipwithgod.org. For more information about Tom Cantor and Friendship with God and Israel Restoration Ministries, call us at 800-247-3051. That's 800-247-3051. What are you doing Sunday nights? Come join Friendship with God radio Bible teacher Tom Cantor of the Friendship with God Fellowship Church every Sunday night at 5.30 p.m. at The Vine at 9336 Abraham Way, Santee, California. Watch and listen live around the world to Tom Cantor Sunday evening on YouTube.com by searching for Friendship with God Fellowship or by going to our homepage at friendshipwithgod.org. That's friendshipwithgod.org. This program is brought to you by Israel Restoration Ministries.